right now on Matter of Fact. Why many store shelves are empty, but the docks are packed. Maybe this is the new normal. Maybe it's not something that you make a phone call to China and three weeks later the, the products arrive. No toys, no car parts, less food? What America's supply chain crisis means for you? And one woman's tireless fight for something many people take for granted, clean water. There is no reason why in the wealthiest nation in, in the world that people should be living with these kind of conditions that are more likely to be seen in underdeveloped nations. Plus, continuing the journey of his legendary grandfather, this explorer is mapping the ocean floor and paving the way for an amazing underwater habitat. I'm Soledad O'Brien. Welcome to Matter of Fact. If you've been shopping recently, you've seen them. Empty shelves in stores, retailers short on everything from food to furniture. Consumer demand is soaring. Businesses are scrambling to get their goods off of ships and out of containers and into stores. Of 926 ports in the United States, two on the West Coast, Los Angeles and Long Beach, import 40% of all products that come into the country. Last year alone, the Port of Los Angeles handled $259 billion worth of cargo. It's a much different scene this year. Ships full of goods sit idle off the Southern California coast, while containers are piled high on the docks. A labor shortage there means much of the merchandise can't be moved. To break the backlog, President Biden has ordered the Port of Los Angeles to move to 24-hour production. Our correspondent, Dina Demetrius, has the story of a business owner anxiously waiting for his goods. On a sea of trouble, Charlie Wu is looking for his ships of toys for Halloween, Christmas, Valentine's Day, and Easter. This is a sports ball, and then we probably buy the ball, not inflated, and we inflate it here and put in some candies and, and, uh, and put it in a basket. And this is the type of thing Walmart would buy, let's exactly. say. Exactly. And these little components that are made in China, these are the types of things that are sitting at the Port of that's, Los Angeles yeah, right uh, now? Yeah, that's, you know, the, the basket is made in China, too. His cargo is only a few miles offshore, but it could just as easily be a thousand miles away. I have a hundred containers somewhere out, out there, and about 30 of them are already here. The CEO of Mega Toys in Los Angeles tracks his shipments multiple times a day, hoping his orders have left the port on a truck and are on their way to him. We don't know. They're unloading it. Where the container is available or not, we don't know. Okay, so this is a warehouse. And we have Wu knows about uncertain futures. Managing the legacy of childhood polio, he emigrated from Hong Kong as a teen in the 1960s, working in his family's toy company in L.A. But in 1989, Wu broke off and created his own company. And, this uh, is his life's and, work. You know, in the busy season, we could have seven, 800 people working. You know, a lot of people supporting the families based on this. When the pandemic hit, Wu expected delays in products from China, but the current meltdown of the U.S. supply chain is beyond what he's ever experienced. The worst part here is, is uncertainty. Some of them will delay four months, some of them are delay one month, and you don't know which one came first. The production floor is empty because limited Christmas orders were fulfilled over the summer, and 150,000 Halloween costumes are still sitting at the port. Wu is also eating shipping costs that are three to four times higher than what he built into retail contracts. 
So uh, it may be $2,000, $3,000, you know, in the busy season, but now it's like $10,000. Consumer buying during the pandemic has shot up, bringing a 40% increase of imports to the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach. The Port of Los Angeles is now operating 24-7 to provide some relief, but this is just one link in the supply chain. More truck drivers, warehouses, and rail service are needed, and there's no telling how much faster cargo will make it to retailers. Gene Soroka, director of the Port of L.A., met with the Biden administration last week to hammer out policies to speed things up. We know of many companies, family businesses that may import five or 10 containers a year and their entire year counts on these next four weeks. So we're trying to segment cargo as best we can. Another big issue, the country is down 30,000 truck drivers. Ron Herrera of the Teamsters Union says too many drivers are hired by trucking companies as independent contractors rather than employees, paying for their own fuel and not getting paid for the hours they wait to pick up containers. We're fighting misclassification. Who wants to go into a profession where there's low wages, right, where um, there's uh, no benefits? And, you know, an employee model creates, you know, stability. It creates a workforce that can be dependent on. The L.A. port can't build that workforce, but Director Soroka says it's using a data system to help those waiting for goods and those delivering them. What Soroka says they need is private companies willing to share information about their orders. More information will help make better decisions and allow us to prepare our staffing and machinery to move this surge of cargo that we'll continue to see for times to come. For Easter, the retailers are ambitious. They want to give me more business, but I can't. But you can't deliver the I business. I can't deliver the business, you know, That is a big challenge. A challenge that could change the landscape of business. Maybe this is the new normal. Maybe it's not something that you make a phone call to China and three weeks later, the the products arrive. Maybe that year is over. And that may mean consumer expectations will require a longer horizon, too. In Los Angeles, I'm Dina Demetrius for Matter of Fact. Next on Matter of Fact, one woman's fight for the most basic right. Everyone has a right to clean water and also sanitation. Hear this environmental activist's ideas on innovative ways to clean up dirty drinking water. Plus, the vast salt and sea. How a major tourist attraction turned into a major health risk. If you breathe this air, you're going to develop some type of respiratory problem. And later, how these little boxes are helping the victims of gun violence move forward. America has a drinking water problem. It didn't end with Flint, Michigan. Most recently, residents of Benton Harbor, Michigan, a small town about 100 miles north of Chicago, were told to stop drinking their water because of high lead levels. Earlier this year in Jackson, Mississippi, residents went weeks without being able to use their water system. The way I see it, it's hard to fix a three-week uh, problem in three weeks that's been a problem for 30 years. <laughs> so. Uh, the best we can do is just try to support each other in the community. Environmental justice advocates say contaminated water is a bigger problem than we know. Catherine Coleman Flowers is an environmental activist. She's the founding director of the Center for Rural Enterprise and Environmental Justice in Alabama. 
Catherine Coleman Flowers joins me now. So nice to have you. Give me a sense, Catherine, if I can call you that. How big is this problem? Well, I think this problem is so big. In fact, we don't have the data to see the extent of how many people in the U.S. do not have access to clean water or sanitation. Realistically, we know that lead in pipes is dangerous. We've known that for a very long time. But could we, as a country, afford to replace them? We cannot afford to not replace those pipes and make sure that everyone has a right to clean water and also sanitation. What have you specifically been studying in Lowndes County, Alabama, which I, I think is where you're from, right? Yes, that is where I'm from. And Lowndes County, Alabama is located between Selma and Montgomery. And what we have found is that there are a lot of people in Lowndes County that do not have adequate ways to treat sanitation when they flush their toilets. It comes out on the ground. And we've also found that wastewater infrastructure, even for those that can afford it, they're failing. And as a result, we found evidence of hookworm and other tropical parasites in the participants in Lowndes County. It's a problem across the country, and it's getting worse as we deal with climate change because the infrastructure is failing. So explain to me that connection between climate change and uh, wastewater systems. When we've had flooding recently from Hurricane Ida, there were people that had sewage running back into their homes. I heard from people as far as away as Queens, New York, where sewage was coming back into their warehouses uh, because of flooding. And also, when there's a lot of rain, these systems are overwhelmed. And uh, when the ground is saturated, especially on-site systems, it pushes sewage back into the homes. There is no reason why in the wealthiest nation in, in the world that people should be living with these kind of conditions that are more likely to be seen in underdeveloped nations. But I think that there is hope on the horizon because I think that the answers lie in the space program. Uh, the Marshall Space Flight Center is here. And they treat wastewater and, and out of space to drinking water quality. What we have not done is looked at that technology and see how we can bring it down to earth. And this will be one way where we can do it, maybe house the house, house by house, as opposed to these big pipe systems that when they fail, that you know the, the ecological devastation is greater than if we did it with more decentralized systems. So that's what we're looking at. It seems to me that it's not just a sewage issue. I mean, if you have a septic system or some kind of a well and you don't have a, a, a working sewage system, no business is gonna move in. That, that's a great point. I found that it was very hard to recruit businesses that did not have to areas that didn't have basic infrastructure. A lot of these, infra these communities have been overburdened and left behind. And what it does is reinforce structural poverty and a lot of times reinforce racism as well. So you've been at this for 20 years or so. What have you learned in that time that you'd like everybody else to know? Well, actually, I've written a book. Uh, the book is entitled Waste, One Woman's Fight Against America's Dirty Secret, because the more information we shed on this, the closer we're going to want to get to a solution. Catherine Coleman Flowers, thank you for talking with me. I appreciate it. Thank you. Coming up. Once a playground for the rich and famous, it's now a health hazard for the people who live there. You feel the nose and the eyes impacted, and we're on the lookout for children and older people who are suffering the most. And still ahead, diving into deep waters to map the ocean floor. How a team of explorers is plumbing the depths of the ocean to come up with new ways to combat climate change. Welcome back. 
California's largest lake, the Salton Sea, is shrinking. The lake was fed by the Colorado River and was a life source for Imperial Valley Farms. Well, now the river is suffering through an intense period of drought. Experts predict the Colorado River's water level will decline 30 percent by 2050, and that leaves the people of Imperial County without a valuable water source and a growing pollution problem. Our special correspondent, Joey Chen, explains the impact. Rising up from the desert sand, it was always something of a glittering illusion. Developers once dubbed the Salton Sea California's miracle in the desert. But in truth, it was more of a mirage. So the Salton Sea is, in essence, a sink. That's Wade Crowfoot, California's natural resources chief, gave me the backstory behind what is today the state's largest inland lake. A very long time ago in the Earth's history, it was a very large sea, and then it dried up. And then about 120 years ago, about 100 years ago, it became uh, a sea once again. The second rise of the Salton Sea was actually the result of a catastrophic failure. In the early 1900s, water diverted from the Colorado River burst through flood controls and spilled into the sink. Within just two years, that sink became the Salton Sea, 40 miles long, 13 miles wide, and at one point, more than 50 feet deep. It created a pontoon boat playground for the rich and famous. But in time, the party and the lake dried up. A swap with Imperial Valley farmers sent more water downstream to San Diego, a drain that is now literally sucking the life out of the lake. The primary challenge for the sea right now is the lack of inflow in terms of quantity, in terms of the amount of water. So uh, the biggest problem for the sea right now is it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And saltier and saltier. The sea saline concentration is now higher than the Pacific Ocean. Soon only one fish species, the tilapia, will be able to survive in it. The disappearing sea is leaving a dusty and dangerous legacy for humans, too. Dust from the lake bed, the playa, adds superfine particulate to the air, already contaminated by industrial and agricultural pollution. If you breathe this air, you might not collapse in that moment or have asthma in that second, but over time, you're going to either develop some kind of cancer or some type of respiratory problem. Imperial County suffers some of California's worst air quality, and the pandemic has made it even more of a threat. Asthma already sends more children to the hospital here than anywhere else in the state. You feel the nose and the eyes impacted, and we're on the lookout for children and older people who are suffering the most from it. Today, this corner of California faces an environmental crisis it fears could easily be forgotten, just like the golden days of the Salton Sea. This isn't Silicon Valley. You don't have people out here assembling computers or developing programs. Why aren't we giving the same level of respect to the people who are harvesting the crops and putting food on the table of people from around the nation and around the world? Saving the lake could cost tens of billions of dollars and involve complex solutions like shuttling water from the Pacific Ocean. The sea's biggest reclamation project was launched early this year, but even state leaders admit the impact is just a drop in the bucket. We, we recognize that it's not going to be solved overnight. Um, we need to be honest about how long it's going to take, but we also need to 
uh, put our time and energy and funding uh, into resolving the problem. That is before the sands of time and the waters contained in the Salton Sea run out. For a matter of fact, I'm Joey Chet. Coming up, could the next frontier be dozens of miles underwater? How the grandson of a legendary ocean explorer is charting a course toward a dwelling in the deep. And ahead, can these little boxes hold the key to healing for victims of gun violence? Maybe, just maybe, they will see that one box that may change how they think or how they feel. To stay up to date with Matter of Fact, sign up for our newsletter at matteroffact.tv. Welcome back to Matter of Fact. It is painstaking work to map the ocean floor. The bottom of the ocean is a vital part of nature's infrastructure. Mapping will allow scientists to monitor climate change, predict natural disasters, and protect sensitive coral reefs. This month in Curaçao, off of the coast of Venezuela, Fabian Cousteau, along with the companies R2 Sonic and Map the Gaps, charted thousands of acres of reefs and bays. So how did they do it? Cousteau's team used sound waves to measure distances between locations. Cousteau, of course, is the eldest grandson of the legendary ocean explorer Jacques Cousteau. So what's next? Cousteau plans to use the information for mapping to build a state-of-the-art research facility 60 feet underwater off the coast of Curaçao. We're finally going to be able to connect the world with our ocean. When we come back, I know I'm the survivor of gun violence, um, but I often don't think in that context. How these tiny boxes are helping people face the unimaginable and take a step towards healing. And finally, once in a while you see something that takes your breath away. Last week, an exhibit on the National Mall called the Soul Box Project did just that. The exhibit visualizes the nearly 200,000 people killed or injured by gunfire in the U.S. in just the past three years. As one survivor told us, each loss is one we all carry. My name is Beverly Emmers. I'm a concerned citizen. I'm here with the Soul Box Project in partnership, and also I'm a survivor of gun violence. I was shot in the head, and I still carry the bullet in my left mastoid. I survived. That means I got through. That means that I do have purpose. I know everyone is impacted. When I say everyone, I mean everyone. I mean black, white, gay, Chinese, all flavors. But um, seeing the box is a reminder that we are definitely all impacted. The Soul Box Project is a touring exhibit. To find out how you can bring it to your community, go to soulboxproject.org. That's it for this edition of Matter of Fact. I'm Soledad O'Brien, and we'll see you back here next week. If you missed our top stories about the impact of the supply chain crisis on business owners and consumers, communities without access to clean, safe water, a California tourist attraction that is now a major health hazard, and the plan to map the ocean floor and build an underwater research station, just go to matteroffact.tv. And listen to Matter of Fact with Soledad O'Brien on your favorite podcast provider. Watch us during the week on FYI, Pluto, and YouTube.